On the last episode of the Pop Culture Retrospective podcast, we took a look back at some of the extinct and disappearing restaurant chains of the 1980s and 1990s. We discussed places like Showbiz Pizza, Bennigan's, The Hard Rock Cafe, and Hojo's. We also learned which chains had to file for bankruptcy, and which defunct chain was responsible for one of the largest hepatitis outbreaks in history. I got a nice message from a listener on Instagram. His name on the platform is Piero Maduro, and he said it was really cool, that episode, and he appreciated the puns. Thank you so very much for your kind thoughts. Because there was so much information to share, we will continue our look back at dining establishments of yesteryear, and thank you for tuning in. So, grab your red and white striped shirt, your suspenders, and don't bend under the sneeze guard at the buffet. Here we go. Hello, and thank you so very much for tuning into the Pop Culture Retrospective Podcast, a show inspired by and in memory of my big sister, Rebecca, and her love for all things pop culture, especially the people, places, and things of the 1980s, 1990s, and early 2000s. My name is Amy Lewis, and I am your captain aboard this pop culture time machine. You are tuning into episode number 38, Extinct and Disappearing Restaurant Chains of the 1980s and 1990s, Part 2. Just like we did on the last episode, we'll sort of do a rundown of some well-known restaurants that perhaps you dined at in decades past. So, put your napkin in your lap and get your elbows off of the table. Let's do this. Fuddruckers is a chain of restaurants, which are still in operation today, surprisingly, that claims to have the world's greatest hamburgers. According to their website, under the section Our Story, the company says, quote, Some people are driven to create the world's fastest cars or the world's tallest buildings. Our calling is only slightly less glamorous, but a whole lot tastier. We are born to create the world's greatest hamburger. End quote. You would think that the Our Story section of a company's website would be an area with which you could find a company's history, but instead I found useless marketing information about Rockers. Anywho, according to sources other than the company themselves and their website, Fuddruckers was founded in 1979 as Fetty Fuddruckers by a man named Philip J. Romano in Texas. The company's claim to fame was that the meat for the burgers was ground on site and the buns were also made on site. By 1988, there were over 150 Fuddruckers locations. In the early days, most locations had utilized a lot of black, white, yellow, and red colors on the restaurant interiors and exteriors. For example, the flooring was black and white linoleum tile, and the exterior awnings were almost always yellow. Also, inside Fuddruckers, you could find several stations, if you will, where you could order your food and drinks. For example, there was a hamburger station, an ice cream station, and a pickup station. 
Fuddruckers was definitely a shit-on-the-wall, or SOTW, restaurant in the early days. One location even had a Beatles booth with all kinds of memorabilia spread out all over. By 2008 and the Great Recession, the company was hit pretty hard and they filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Today, there are about 100 Fuddruckers locations. If you go to their website, you can go to the section called Find My Fuds. Yep, Find My Fuds. Fuds, spelled F-U-D-D-S. And you can see where the nearest location is. The locations that do remain are no longer SOTW restaurants. Instead, the assorted and unrelated memorabilia has been replaced with hardwood floors, matte black chairs, and stools, as well as brick walls, which seems to be pretty standard amongst the chain restaurants that have survived into 2021. The Ground Round was an offshoot of the Howard Johnson's or Hojo's brand. While the Hojo's were geared towards groups of travelers, remember the orange roofs we talked about? Those helped road trippers know they were approaching good food at good prices. Ground rounds were aimed towards neighborhoods. The first restaurant opened in 1969 and was dubbed a neighborhood pub. There were only 12 items on the original menu, including burgers and beer. Patrons were often given peanuts and they were encouraged to actually throw them on the ground. Could you imagine that happening today? Between peanut allergies, which my son has, and germs, that would certainly never happen. However, in the 1970s and 1980s, you could munch on some peanuts while watching silent movies and cartoons on a big screen inside the restaurant. Also in the 1980s, the chain started to shift more toward attracting families, so their menu became a bit more diverse. Looking for a great place to eat and drink? How's the ground round sound? And listen to this. For a limited time, a tender USDA choice top sirloin steak with steak fries, onion rings, and Texas toast is just $3.99. Imagine a steak dinner for just $3.99 with great specials like these. The ground round. (laughs) Sounds good to anyone. The company encouraged children to hold their birthday parties at their restaurants, and perhaps your child would be visited by Bingo the Clown who was the company's mascot at one point. I'm not making that up. That was the company's mascot, a clown named Bingo, who I'm pretty sure my sister impersonated on one of our home videos. And she said, my name is not Becky. I'm Bingo. Bingo the clown. Like so many restaurants in the 1980s, the interiors featured red and white checkered tablecloths and lighting was provided by stained glass light fixtures, often the ones with the Coca-Cola logo inscribed. Why did every restaurant have stained glass light fixtures in the 80s? Why? Everywhere. I think Pizza Hut had them and a bunch of others. By the mid-1990s, there were about 211 locations, including one in my hometown. For many years, Ground Round hosted trivia nights and winners would receive free drinks. However, after a tragic accident, those nights ceased forever. On one trivia night, a woman had too much to drink and ended up sitting on the hood of a car. The car started to move, and she fell beneath the chassis while the car was still in motion and didn't survive. In 2004, the company filed for bankruptcy. And a lot of the company-owned locations closed their doors. 
Currently, there are about 16 locations in the United States located in the Midwest and some on the East Coast. The one in my hometown closed a long time ago, and I have contacted the company recently, I'm not kidding, to ask where exactly that location was, and I have yet to hear back. So to the executives from the ground round who are definitely listening to the show, which they're probably not, I would like to know where exactly was the ground round in Downers Grove, Illinois. You can email me your thoughts at popcultureretrospective at gmail.com. Thank you very much. My dad inquired on my hometown's Facebook page, and there continues to be some debate as to where exactly it was. If my sister was here, I know she could tell me exactly where it was located, the name of the street, what it was next to, when it closed, and a list of items on the menu. I'm not kidding. That is how impressive her memory was. TCBY was started in 1981 in Arkansas. It was dubbed the country's first frozen yogurt shop. At first, the initials stood for, this can't be yogurt. But after a lawsuit, the initials stood for, the country's best yogurt. After just one year in operation, the franchising of TCBY began, and by 1984, there were over 100 locations. In this shape. It's getting into this shape. TCBY non-fat frozen yogurt. TCBY non-fat frozen yogurt. It has no fat, but great taste. So try TCBY non-fat frozen yogurt at your nearby TCBY store and say goodbye to ice cream. After all, what have you got to lose? Goodbye, high calories. In 2000, the chain was purchased by Mrs. Fields Holdings. The thought was through a combination of the two dessert venues, they could diversify. TCBY was already pretty successful because at the time of the acquisition, there were about 1,800 locations. Unfortunately, this plan didn't quite work out, and between 2001 to 2011, the company shut down 1,300 stores. On a better note, though, in 2012, the company launched the first-ever Greek frozen yogurt to be served at a frozen yogurt chain, and they offer an extensive lineup of dairy-free frozen yogurts as well. Apparently, college students are huge fans of frozen yogurt, and according to one study, they are 162% more likely to order frozen yogurt to be delivered to their homes than non-college students. That's really random. Despite the popularity of frozen yogurt with young adults, there remains just over 360 TCBY locations. I definitely could have seen my sister ordering frozen yogurt to be delivered. She lovingly referred to one of her favorite treats as Froyo. Shoney's was started by a football player named Schoenbaum in 1947, who was inspired to open a restaurant because his father was a businessman. At first, it was a drive-in restaurant. The first location was in Charleston, West Virginia. In 1977, they started being affiliated with big boy restaurants and even created their own mascot named Shoney Bear. In the 1980s and 1990s, the company saw huge growth. They expanded their menu and offered salads, burgers, and became well-known for their breakfast bars. By 1994, there were over 1,800 restaurants in 36 states. The restaurants were known for their bright red lettering as well as their pink and green colored booth cushions as well as sunroom seating which I feel like could be found in many 1980s restaurants like Burger King. Don't ask me why I remember that. They also diversified their restaurant portfolio by creating Captain D's, which was sort of fast food with a seafood twist. It competed with Long John Silver's. 
Further, the company learned that Shoney's restaurants that were located near or next to hotels performed better, so they opened their own line of hotels called Shoney's Inn in 1975. Thank you for calling Shoney's Inn. This is Amy. How can I help you? The hotel was often paired with a specialty restaurant called Fifth Quarter Steakhouses. This model only lasted until about 1991, but hey, on the plus side, Andy Griffith, star of the Andy Griffith Show, one of my mom's favorite shows of all time, was a face of many a Shoney's restaurant commercial. You love shrimp? Boy, I do. Right now, I love my little mo because Shoney's is cooking up a great shrimp deal. Classic shrimp dinners starting at just $5.99. Choose lightly dusted shrimp, fried or stir-fried. Better yet, get twice the shrimp for only $3 more. Served with Shoney's soup, salad, and fruit bar. So sit yourself down at Shoney's for a classic American shrimp dinner. It'll be love at first bite. At the same time that the company was expanding, they also faced a lawsuit. Apparently, the company discriminated against workers who were African-American. These individuals not only faced discrimination, lack of promotions, etc., they were also harassed. The court sided with the workers and all black employees who worked at a Shoney's restaurant between 1985 to 1992 were awarded money for the challenges that they faced. At the time, it was the largest discrimination lawsuit payout in history. It was millions and millions of dollars. Schoenbaum passed in 1996, which led to the start of some more hard times for the company. In 2000, the company filed for bankruptcy and were bought out by an investment group two years later. Today, Shoney's restaurants can be found in 17 states. They are located primarily in states like Ohio, Tennessee, North and South Carolina, Alabama, etc. Every time I hear the name Shoney's, I just think of a terrible commercial jingle that could have come to fruition in the 1980s with the help of one of the band The Cure's most popular songs just like heaven, but with some different lyrics. In the original version, the song goes, Show me, show me, show me how you do that trick. The one that makes me scream, she said. The one that makes me laugh, she said, and threw her arms around my neck. If their advertising and marketing department was even as remotely creative as I am, they could have easily changed it to, Shoney, Shoney, Shoney's how you cook that food. The kind that makes me smile, she said. The kind that makes me full, she said. And threw her arms around the buffet. That was terrible. But what a missed opportunity. That would have drawn huge crowds to Shoney's in the 1980s. I'm just saying. Sizzler was started in 1958 with a dream and $50 by Dell and Helen Johnson. It was called the Sizzler Family Steakhouse. The name Sizzler comes from the sound a steak makes as it sizzles on a hot plate. Sizzler? Mm, I don't think I ever heard that noise. But anyways, the creators of Sizzler wanted to create a restaurant where people could enjoy a steak for a reasonable price, all while being complimented by a salad bar. Inside the restaurants, you could find classic maroon-colored booth seating, complete with stained glass surrounds, as well as buffet areas with half-domed glass sneeze guards. At its peak in the 1980s, Sizzler competed with Ponderosa and Bonanza and had 270 locations. Ever since Charlie was a kid, he's put things together a little differently. What's that? Peanut butter and tuna. Ooh, yuck! Even as a young man, his tastes were unique. Pancakes. Oh, and gravy. So when Charlie heard about Sizzler's combination celebration, he was thrilled. He could choose from seven entrees, even all-you-can-eat shrimp to make his own combination. And no matter which two he picked, it would be okay. Uh, steak and steak. For Charlie. Sizzler. 
Along with their success, Sizzler is known for giving back to the community. They partner with No Kid Hungry, which helps provide healthy food to kids in need. Let's just hope that healthy food does not include steak. Okay. Anyways, in September of 2020, the company filed for bankruptcy. And now just over 100 locations remain. Most of them are located in California, New Mexico, and Utah. Many locations have also had to temporarily close due to COVID-19. There are also international locations. And we will end with one of my personal childhood favorites and teenage favorites, TGI Fridays. TGI Fridays was the brainchild of Alan Stillman, who opened the very first TGI Fridays in 1965 in New York. I believe it was in New York City. His motivation for opening the restaurant was not because he had a passion for the food business, but rather because he was hoping to meet single women. I'm not making this up. He had no prior restaurant experience prior to TGI Fridays. He was apparently surrounded by single women, and he wanted a place where he could meet up with them, as women at this time generally avoided traditional bars, which were often seedy and unwelcoming. Stillman was quoted as once saying, quote, There was no public place for people between, say, 23 to 37 years old to meet. With that motivation in mind, he borrowed some money from his mom and used some of his own money to purchase his first restaurant. Could you imagine if the song Single Ladies Put a Ring on It by Beyonce came out during that time? You know for sure that Stillman would have been blasting that song in his restaurant so that all the single ladies would put them hands up. And then he would know when they put them hands up who was single. You know what I'm saying? Anyways. With that motivation in mind, he borrowed some money from his mom and used some of his own money to purchase his first restaurant. He bought a restaurant near his home that was already established and renamed it TGI Fridays, which stood for Thank God It's Friday. TGI Fridays was one of the first restaurants to institute Ladies' Night. At one point, it was so popular that they had to set up ropes so that people could wait in line. Further, the restaurants became known for their cocktails. In the 1960s, the only real place to drink cocktails was at parties, but TGI Fridays was really one of the original innovators of creating unique cocktails at an actual restaurant, further attracting a more diverse customer base. So I guess what I'm trying to say, if you've gone out drinking lately and had a delicious cocktail somewhere, make sure that you think TGI Fridays. If it wasn't for them, you wouldn't be sipping on that pina colada or your margarita. Thanks, TGI Fridays. Between the popularity of the restaurant itself, as well as Ladies' Night, franchising of TGI Fridays began in the late 1960s. The second-ever TGI Fridays location opened in Memphis, Tennessee, which was also incredibly busy like the New York City location. There was a stage inside this one where musical performances were held, and Ellen DeGeneres was once a server there. Another claim to fame was in 1974, TGI Fridays reportedly invented the potato skins. Yeah or tater skins, potato skins, whatever you want to call them. That is from TGI Fridays, allegedly. By the late 1980s and early 1990s, TGI Fridays shifted its focus away from just drinking and single ladies, but instead started to focus on families. It's two for 20 time at Fridays, which means any two people can come to Fridays, and for only $20, you get one appetizer, like our spicy buffalo wings, two delicious entrees or specialties, like the herb grilled chicken or shrimp Fridays, plus one unbelievable dessert, like the mocha mud pie. So pair off, because right now, it's Friday's two for 20 time.
During this time, they became well-known for gathering all of the waiters and waitresses to sing happy birthday to customers. Servers at TGI Fridays were also stereotypically on the younger side and overly enthusiastic about their drink and food offerings. If you want to see a really good parody of restaurants and waitstaff from restaurants like TGI Fridays or Bennigan's, like we talked about on the previous episode of the Pop Culture Retrospective Podcast, check out the film Office Space. It's a comedy. You won't regret it. In the movie, some of the main characters frequent a TGI Fridays-esque restaurant called Tchotchkes. I, too, frequented TGI Fridays, often after I got out of work late at night. I think they were generally opened until maybe 11 p.m. or midnight, so it was perfect for people working the evening shift. There was one down the street from the hotel I worked at in high school and college. The Onion, the satirical newspaper that I've referenced before, also wrote a hilarious article from the perspective of an overly excited waitress, which, again, you could find a lot of them at TGI Fridays in the 90s. I'll read that here in a moment, but please be aware that there is some adult humor in it. If you ate at a TGI Fridays in the 80s or 90s, then you will know how surprisingly accurate and hilarious, I might add, this article is. This article first ran on July 26th, 2000, and the title is Welcome to TGI Fridays. May I annoy the living shit out of you? And in the article, there is a picture of the server. Her name is Jenny Aberg, and she's wearing a white button-up shirt with a tie, kind of classic server clothing from that time period. And she's smiling and looks very happy. Hi, welcome to TGI Fridays. May I annoy the living shit out of you? My name is Jenny, and I'll be your incredibly irritating server tonight. So how are you folks doing this evening? Great! Thanks so much for waiting. It has just been completely insane around here. So if I seem a little brain dead, please bear with me. Can I start anybody off with one of our overpriced, stupidly named drinks? We've got a totally tropical pina colada smoothie that's totally amazing. No? Just waters all around? Not feeling very adventurous tonight, are we? Hey, no prob. I'll be back with your aguas in just two shakes. I am so sorry that took so long. Like I said, it's just been nuts. So can I start you folks off with some greasy, disgusting appetizers? I highly recommend the Mexicali Rose Tequila Fried Buffalo Wings. My personal fave, though, is a five-alarm chili pepper quesadillas with a side of sesame seed grilled tostadas and margarita-flavored Monterey Jack Dip. No? Just entrees? Wow, you folks don't mess around, do ya? Are you aware of our specials that nobody ever orders? I'll mention them even though you've decided what you want. The first is our Southwestern Grilled Fettuccine Alfredo, which is a lot like our regular Fettuccine Alfredo, except the egg noodles are char-grilled and the cream sauce is flavored with ranch dressing. It's served with either a Mediterranean veggie salad or refried bean dip. The second special is the Southwestern Grilled Avocado Meatloaf with Oriental Vinaigrette Marinara. Don't those sound not the least bit tempting? Doesn't my uniform make you happy? Aren't you happy? Aren't you so happy that you could take a bullet right through the head? Phew, I cannot believe how busy we are tonight. I swear it doesn't normally take an hour for entrees. Anyway, thank you so much for your patience. You're the salsa burger with fries, right? And you're the grilled chicken Caesar salad. Here you go. Anything else I can get for you? Can I top off that Coke for you, sir? Great. Say, I forgot to mention this before, but we've got our own freshly brewed iced tea with Mexican grilled lemon. Any takers? Or, better yet, would you like to see our beer and wine list? That's too bad, because alcoholic drinks are the fastest way to increase the bill, which, in turn, increases my tip. So, how's that burger working out for you, sir? Great. Actually, I couldn't care less. Would you like to see the dessert menu? Take your time looking it over, and I'll be back in a couple of minutes. By the way, I meant to say this before, but I absolutely adore your top. No, not yours, sir, although you're quite the looker yourself. Isn't my voice annoying? Did you notice how every third word out of my mouth is great? Isn't that fucking annoying? All finished here? 
Great. Would you like a box to put those leftovers in? You sure? Okay. Have you decided what you'd like for dessert? The asphyxiation by caramel? I'm sorry, we're actually all out of that at the moment. Did you have a second choice? The Kahlua fudge slide with real Reese's pieces? Oh, geez, we're out of that too. I'm so sorry. We do, however, have the Tex-Mex fried Neapolitan ice cream with kiwi shavings. Would you prefer that instead? No? Just a check? Great. I'll be right back. Sorry for the delay again, but the register's been acting up. I swear I think there's a full moon out tonight. Is there anything else I can get for you? I know I told out the check, but we do have an adjoining bar. A negligible percentage of our bar sales goes to the March of Dimes, so it's technically for a good cause. Oh, you have to leave here as soon as possible? Okay, well, you guys have a super night. You can just bring your check up to the hostess at the register when you're all set. It's been a pleasure getting on your nerves. Bye! TGI Fridays was most definitely a shit-on-the-walls restaurant, or SOTW restaurant. I remember the location near my house growing up had a telephone booth inside. I can't quite remember if it was functional or not, but it was there, and it was intriguing. You could also find the casual movie poster or a triangle with cue balls inside for billiards glued to the wall. In the 1980s and 1990s, waiters were often found dressed in red and white striped polo shirts with fashionable buttons flanking said shirts, and those were often complemented by suspenders. At its peak, there were at least 900 TGI Fridays locations between the United States and abroad. TGI Fridays has faced some controversy over the years, like in 2013 when a dozen restaurants were raided and it was discovered that they were serving cheap alcohol disguised as higher-end and selling it for top-shelf prices. More recently, the popularity of casual family restaurants has significantly decreased and TGI Fridays closed 34 locations in 2019. According to their website, there are currently 318 locations in the United States. Despite the flagship TGI Fridays closing in 1994, New York State holds the title of having the most TGI Fridays locations with a total of 34. Those lucky ducks. I hope you've enjoyed this look back at some additional extinct and disappearing restaurant chains of the 1980s and 1990s. I had such a blast researching and recording these two episodes, and I would really like to hear from you all. Which restaurants did I leave off the list? Were there any chains that you frequent as a child, and what are your memories of those dining establishments? Let me know. You can send me an email at popcultureretrospective at gmail.com, or you can send me a message on Instagram, I'm at popcultureretrospective, or tweet me, I'm at popcultureretro. I hope you'll join me for my next show where you'll take a look at America's cartoon sweetheart of the 1980s, Strawberry Shortcake. Until then, be kind, be safe, and hold on to your memories. The name Sizzler comes from the sound a steak makes as it sizzles on a hot plate. Sizzler? My personal fave, though, is the Five Alarm Chili Pepper Quesadillas with a side of sesame seed, grilled tostadas, and margarita-flavored... M- <laughs> my personal fave is the... <clears throat> my personal fave, though, is the Five Alarm Chili Pepper Quesadillas with a side of sesame seed, grilled tostadas, and margarita-flavored Monterey Jack... God. The second special is a Southwestern Grilled Avocado Meatloaf with Oriental Vinaigrette Mat... <sighs> Have you decided what you'd like for dessert? The asphyxiation by caramel? I'm sorry, we're actually all of that. <laughs> <laughs>